Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire. Keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. It's been a busy morning, so I am on my first cup of coffee. Please be gentle with any questions. I've wanted to prove to myself that I can still learn something new at the ripe age of 45. So what I did, I installed Duolingo. That's the language learning app on my phone again. And I'm now three weeks deep into learning Dutch. And it's tough. It's, it's tough on a manageable level. Sort of like if you drop the ball, you sort of get lost and, and you have to backtrack a bit. But if you're consistently doing the exercises the application is asking you to do, I feel as if I'm learning at least something. And, and, and per, perhaps one day this podcast will be a switch We'll, we'll, we'll switch to a mixture of, of Swedish and Dutch then, but that's probably <laughs> 10 years away. <laughs> All right, cool. On my side, I've been finalizing some smaller home renovation projects that we've got going on. That's been a, something going on for quite some time now. But more importantly, we've gone looking for pumpkins because Halloween is coming up and we want to carve some nice pumpkins and the kids are excited. And yeah, we just want to try our best to make some really nice pumpkin uh, pumpkins this year. But I'm not sure if it's too early or if they will last. If we carve them up now, will they last all the way to Halloween? We will see. But maybe we will buy a few of them and carve some up this week and then leave the rest for next. So nothing big on my side, but fun nevertheless with the family. Now that you mentioned the pumpkins, I did carve one pumpkin last year and, and I put the candle in it. I put it on the balcony. We were sitting at the living room. I did show that to the uh, the kid was turning four at the time and he starts crying because it was so scary so so we'll we'll, we'll see how <laughs> it goes this year <laughs> okay so tonight we have the top three favorite announcements from microsoft ignite 2022 so ignite was last week at the time of recording this one and it was mostly online uh although they did sell tickets for if we wanted to do an in-person attendance as as well. I, I know we discussed that one, but Toby, did you ever have this sort of uh, desire to, to perhaps, yeah, let me get a ticket and fly to Seattle and attend in person? I, I don't think so. I have been to a lot of conferences and I really enjoy them most of the time. You get to network a lot, but I mean, it, it feels a little bit like a waste just to go there to attend the conference in person if I don't really have a business value with that. Uh, so personally, I, I'm happy with the the remote sessions. Hopefully I can go to a conference near my own location at some point. But other than that, I think, yeah, it would have been fun maybe to be there, but fun is the deciding factor there. So no real business value for me in, in going there. So It was the same for me. I, I couldn't find the time and I, I couldn't justify spending the effort and the money to travel because I think Ignite was was two real days of the event plus the pre-day. Based on social media, I had some friends over there. It, it did look like fun, but at the same time, it did look vastly different from what I recall when we used to go to the large conferences, maybe in 2018, 2019, the last time, you would have 20 or 30,000 people. And now I think it was much less. So 
at the same time, the in-person venue, at least from afar, it felt different, not in a bad way, though. So all the announcements from Ignite, as as is, is a tradition by now, are available on the Book of News. We'll have the link in the show notes if you've missed this one. So instead of going through everything in there, because there's quite a bit of stuff, we figure let's pick the top three things we feel are interesting and perhaps not the most obvious ones because often you have these sort of hero announcements and everybody starts digging through those announcements and and you might miss on something equally interesting which might not get the the uh the, the sort of marketing budget from microsoft to to be as prominently visible so so we have three announcements that 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 we dig through uh so which which one do you want to start with first? So one of the things which is fairly close to me because I, I helped shape some of that is the sustainability guidance for Azure. And that comes with the Azure well-architected framework. So at Ignite, Microsoft launched a new guidance, uh, which is in the Learn or, or Microsoft Docs, which is now called Microsoft Learn. So in the documentation set for um, Azure, we, we landed some new guidance around sustainability on Azure, and this is targeting workloads. So because WAF or well-architected framework targets, you know, architects, IT decision makers, and lead developers, people who can really uh, benefit from this in implementing solutions, it landed in the Azure well-architected framework. So the WAF sustainability guidance is part of kind of a broader initiative that helps customer navigate and steer through the like very steep learning curve around sustainability because it can be because you need to get the entire organization to buy into sustainability just much like security a couple of years ago before security become the the top one priority for everything and uh, there was a challenge for um you know architects or lead devs or even IT decision makers to get budget for security because that was usually an afterthought and the same thing has been with sustainability but we're seeing a huge push now where we really want to put sustainability on the front row as well. Um, so actively work with sustainability in your uh, work around Azure. So uh, WAF sustainability is, well, the, the workload guidance is one piece of that puzzle, offering very tangible advice and recommendations that should be considered when you either start afresh or if you have an existing workload running in Azure. And the guidance is also designed in close collaboration with customers and colleagues at the Green Software Foundation. So it's not just made up recommendations out of thin air that sounds great, but they're also tied in and aligned direct, directly with the principles of green software in the Green Software Foundation, which is also for every recommendation in this new guidance for WAF sustainability, you can also tie them directly to the principles of green software. And that is something that I really think is a strong indicator that this is a, a cross collaboration between many companies where we really want to achieve a better outcome for the planet, as opposed to create something that is unique to the Azure technology. This is something you can implement whether you're running an Azure or any other cloud as well. Some of the recommendations are very specific to an Azure type of workload by name, but that workload usually exists in the other clouds as well, and you can benefit from the same type of recommendations there. So the audience and benefits of this is that, like I mentioned there, we target uh, architects, lead developers, and IT decision makers. The initial release will focus on the various design areas and the underlying considerations, and the guidance will then grow over time and be kept up to date with more coverage being added and 
uh, really updated guidelines as they become available and applicable. And, and the biggest thing about this that I think is a, a pretty prominent discussion point, just like it was with security and still is with security, uh, it's this shared responsibility model. So Microsoft is uh, as a cloud provider responsible for the data centers hosting your applications, but deploying an application in the cloud doesn't automatically make it sustainable, even if the data centers are super optimized. So if your app is not optimized, it may still emit more than necessary carbon. And therefore, the customer have the responsibility to really ensure that the workload that we deploy as customers are optimized and balanced and do not consume more resources than is actually necessary. And I don't want to get too deep into this because I do believe we can do a full episode just on sustainability on Azure and cover both WAF sustainability and some other things that exist, including the different learn and training modules that exist for sustainability. And I, th I think that is also a very hot topic these days. So I. I would reserve myself to say, let's do a specific episode on sustainability on Azure and bring that up. And just to finish that update, there's really a bunch of different design areas. So if you're an architect or if you're a lead developer or IT decision maker, you're usually familiar with application design, application platform, testing, operational procedures, networking and connectivity, storage, security, like these technical kind of areas that you have when impl implementing your infrastructure and your applications. These are kind of the categories for all the recommendations that we have. So everything is broken down into these sections. So if you know that you only want to start looking at security because you have a budget for that, then take a look at the security design area and you can find a lot of juice on that. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll put the link to this in the show notes as well. So you can just click it and go check out the guidance. Um, but that's my that's my first highlight. I, I really like this. Uh, I did a keynote a couple of months ago before we knew that the Well Architecture Framework would have the sustainability guidance. And I did dig through whatever is available from Microsoft for Azure and Microsoft 365, as well as for AWS and Google Cloud. And what I did find is that for AWS, in their sustainability guidance and, and, and best practices, they have a really nice graphic on what's the customer's responsibility, what's the data center operator's, Amazon's responsibility. And, and perhaps that's the eye-opening thing here, because for the past 10 years, we've been told that just push stuff in the cloud and, and, and it's secure and it's sort of taken care of for you. But now it feels with the shared responsibility model of, of the sustainability approach. We also have to do as customers, we also have to do something. We cannot just deploy whatever and say, well, it's it's now sustainably running in the cloud because mm -hmm. it's far away. I am not seeing the emissions at all. I do not need to worry at all about those. The other thing that I'm wondering here, and, and perhaps time will tell, is that that we've had a couple of episodes on on finance operations and cost savings and cost management and i often feel that those type of discussions with customers they do not resonate too heavily it's something like yeah super interesting but let's talk more about azure functions and service bus and and all the tech technology bits and pieces in there so i hope that the sustainability guidance will pick up faster than what i feel that the FinOps approach hasn't really been picking up in the past couple of years. Alrighty, so let's definitely do an episode on this one as well. 
the other, the second thing I'd like to highlight is is the Microsoft Cloud Security Benchmark, MCSB. And, and often what I feel is that when something is announced, there's a nice looking name, but then you sort of have to scratch the surface a little bit to see what is this really about? Is this something new? Is this something that was renamed and it's been sort of sold to you as a new thing? And, and as you said, with Microsoft Learn, uh, when you go to the whatever documentation in there, you have the timestamp. So I, I often use the timestamp to figure out, is this a new thing or is this something that was already there two years ago, but it was sort of forgotten. Now we have a new name, so it's new for us again. So MCSB is, is built in to Defender for Cloud. And when you go to regulatory compliance, you will see the new cloud security benchmark capabilities. So this is some um, prescriptive best practices on and, and, and recommendations on how do you secure and improve the security of everything you have in, in, in Azure. And I think this expands to AWS as well. And I think for Google Cloud, perhaps also, but I openly admit I don't work with Google Cloud, so that draws a blank for me. But it's 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 a benchmark part of Defender for Cloud, and it aligns with Cloud Adoption Framework, the Well-Architected Framework, the CISO Workshop, and other regulatory practice standards like PCI DSS and NIST and SIS controls and so on. I had a brief look on one of my test subscriptions, when you go to Defender for Cloud, even if you're not paying for any of the advanced Defender capabilities, this is free. This is free for Azure usage. Everything else will cost you. But this maps super nicely to the different controls. And it reminds me of the, uh, if you recall, the old compliance manager we got as part of Microsoft 365 four or five years ago with GDPR and, and, and stuff like this. So this maps nicely to the missing configurations, the missing things you haven't implemented. And it, it, it gives you recommendations that this specific thing you have to fix with an Azure policy. This is more of a documentation. This is a configuration setting. This is a security setting. So I feel this will become one of the tools I will be using with customers when they ask, what's the security for our Azure stance? So I can just run this and, and see a huge list of things that we perhaps have to fix, but at least we have to take a closer look. Toby, have you had a chance to, to look at this? Or the previous version of this was called the Azure Security Benchmark? Yeah, well, I was about to say that. The Azure Security Benchmark is something that I, I used quite a bit in my previous role. And, you know, we also used, like, one of my favorite sections of Defender for Cloud was always regulatory compliance and secure score, where I could keep tabs on everything that dynamically got added to our cloud. So you know, when you have multiple subscriptions to manage and you have a lot of resources, and some of those are dynamically created on the spot by other resources, things, uh, they, yeah, they can change quickly. And one really good way for, for me to keep tabs of that was using uh, Defender for Cloud and the secure score, but also the regula uh, regulatory compliance section where I could go and, and dig into these things. So Azure Security Benchmark was a big uh, part of that, but also uh, think like, uh, things like the CIS controls 
Um, I used the NIST framework. I also used the um, ISO 27001. So there, there's a, a bunch of different standards that we use. And I think it also had SOC TSP, if I'm not mistaken, within the Defender for Cloud. So we used all of those like off the bat to kind of see where are we with compliance across industries, across different, how do you call them, different regulatory frameworks. Because it's like, if you want to achieve one, that's great. But what I want to do is I want to take the box of all of them. So we really stay on the right side and no matter what type of customers we talk to. So I, I haven't checked out the Microsoft Cloud Security Benchmark, but that's a great addition here. I will go take a look at that. I do have a couple of subscriptions still running with a bunch of stuff. And so I will take a gander, see what it gives, and maybe there's something that we can also drill down for a separate episode and really drill into the entire Microsoft Cloud security benchmark and what it is and what it gives and, and how it works, because these are things that I'm very excited about. Um, and especially in my previous role, I worked a lot with those things and I was neck deep every day in regulatory compliance and things like that. So I'm, I'd be super interested in exploring this. I, I really like this. And perhaps you can sort of read through the lines or between the lines, not through the lines. When you open this, that that for a lot of the recommendations, it goes, well, maybe enable Defender for Storage, maybe enable this, maybe enable that, which is fine. But then occasionally you get the enable all button. And without knowing what you have in the subscriptions, this might be costly. So again, you have to plan ahead. You really have to spend the time with the tool. And I, I feel this is not something you do once, but this is something you visit regularly to, to keep tabs on, on what is happening in terms of cloud security for your subscriptions and tenants. Okay, the last one, it sort of ties back to sustainability and a little bit for security as well, I feel. Azure Savings Plan for Compute. So this will already be generally available in, in a couple of weeks, and I think it's now in preview. And we did an episode on reserved instances, perhaps 60 episodes ago or so, and, and this is something more fine-grained. So it allows you to save on compute services if you commit to spending a fixed hourly amount for compute for one or three years. So how I see this, and Toby, perhaps you see it the same or totally different. How I see this is that I have 10 VMs running 24-7 and I, I'm, I'm paying for pay-as-you-go pricing, the, the list prices. But now I feel, well, I might have 15 VMs running a week from now, and then I'm scaling down back to 10 VMs. So I do not want to buy the reserved instances because it sort of locks me down. And this gives a more fine-grained approach to getting a discount based on the hourly usage between all of the VMs that I'm planning on running, be it 10 or 15 or an average of those. Would you see it the same or somehow differently? Yeah. The so what I what my takeaway from a savings plan is like if you spend a fixed hourly dollar amount collectively on compute services, take five dollars an hour or ten dollars an hour on compute services for one or three years, that's your commitment. But that works. That part uh, that how do you say that the commitment is across all the compute services globally that are participating in savings plan. 
which means you can switch tiers. You can scale up and down. You can jump between compute servers as long as they are covered by savings plan. With reserved instances that exist for some time, um, you kind of commit to a specific VM type in a particular Azure region. So maybe the the DSV4 or DS2v4, DS5v4 in Western Europe for three years. And then if you realize I need to scale up or scale down, well, you're out of luck on that VM because that is already fixed, right? You you have that commitment for that period of time and you need to honor that. With savings plans, it's not tied to the region and not tied to a specific size. It's more all the compute services under that umbrella or that are supported by savings plans are incorporated into that. So there, are, I think that's kind of a differentiator in how you make a decision between these. And I, I really love that addition because also coming from the field, one of the things we we looked at was using reserved instances. And one of the challenges was like, we're a company that was growing quickly and our workloads were growing quickly. And it's very difficult for us to commit to three years, but also very difficult to commit even to one year where we would commit to to one year of a specific VM size. And then we realized, okay, we need to scale up. And that was the same for PostgreSQL databases on Azure, right? You could also use reserved instances there, but we also saw we're quickly growing. At some point we might need to scale that up pretty quickly. And it was difficult to kind of get locked in, if you will, uh, for some workloads. For other workloads, it was easier to kind of predict where you have this predictable workload with no real planned changes, then reserved instances would be a good fit pick. So uh, yeah, long story short, I, that's how I would take a look at it. Yeah, it's it's nice to have options. And this applies to VMs, dedicated hosts, container instances, Azure Premium Functions, and Azure App Services. So more or less everything that utilizes compute capacity. What it excludes, I think, is VPN gateways, API management compute, stuff like more more premium or more more specific. Alrighty, so those were the three picks we had. And obviously uh, from Ignite, the, the list of announcements was, was quite big. Some of those were fairly small updates, and then there were the hero updates, and I'm sure we will be digesting through those in the following episodes as well. The last bit is the unexpected question, and I'm sort of trying to keep track who is asking who which week. And and Toby, based on my calculations and my bookkeeping, um, it is your turn to ask me the unexpected question. All right. I, I think I have a good question here. So what are some things that are okay to occasionally do, but definitely not okay to do every day? That's an interesting question. Um, a couple of years ago, I I started thinking, are there any food or, or guilty pleasures that you really shouldn't be eating? Something you really like, like 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 a, like a nice pizza or something. But yeah, you can occasionally do that, but not not every day, not too often. And and during those ventures, I did find out there's certain food you really should never ever have especially if you've been out partying on a Friday and, and Saturday morning, you really need something that's not healthy for you, but you sort of have to push back. Beyond food, I am drawing mostly a blank. So so I recently upgraded my, my, my gym plan to four days per week, and it used to be three days per week. And, and I can really tell that occasionally, yes, it's fine, but you really cannot do sports every day, even if you'd like to. 
at this age, the body simply does not recover fast enough anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's a good tip. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you for tuning in. We'll have a fresh episode for you again next week on Wednesday. All right, see you then.